Hello, world. What is up? Welcome back to the Feelings Lab. I'm your host, Matt Forte. And on today's episode, we're tackling some common myths about emotion. When the opportunity to host this show first presented itself almost a year ago now, actually, I couldn't say yes fast enough for one very simple reason. I was in love with Alan. That's not true. I, I, I didn't even know him yet. I'm just, I'm just messing around. Uh, the, the truth is, uh, I jumped at the job because I wanted to learn. Uh, a part of my self-imposed curriculum here has been to scour the internet in search of any articles, stories, hot takes of moderate interest, things like that. Anything whatsoever having to do with emotion science and the types of things that we talk about here on the show. Now, in doing so, I inevitably wind up with more questions after reading something than I had before I started. But what's incredibly cool about hosting this thing here is I find myself uniquely positioned to take my questions, not to Google, but directly to some of the most brilliant folks in the game. Uh, in most cases, the leading minds in their respective fields. Now, admittedly, I do on occasion throw a question in there about a gambling monkey or something of that nature. <laughs> I'm only human, but ultimately, I recognize it's a great privilege that I have here. I try not to take it for granted. Anyway, all of that is to say there's a ton of stuff out there for you to read and, and absorb. And, and while I know this sounds like the preamble to another news episode, well, uh, it kind of is, but, but with a twist, okay? Uh, much like the deeply nuanced spectrum of human emotion, the world of emotion science is surprisingly not nearly as black and white as one might expect with the uh, word science right there in the title. Uh, I've read pieces that assert Facial expressions are actually meaningless, uh, with multiple interpretations of Darwin's position on the matter. I've heard emotions are universal, but also regionally specific and culturally constructed. So there's lots of very smart people out there that are all actively trying to figure out how all this works. Uh, and it's a process. Naturally, camps have formed with competing schools of thought on multiple sides, and that's a totally normal human thing to be expected. But the surprising bit is that most scientists don't actually sit in these polarized camps. Uh, the answers may not be the cut and dry binary debates we expect, but rather, and, and quite often, mind you, it, it's a mixture of both sides residing somewhere in between. So what are we gonna do? Well, today, we're gonna tackle some of these ideas and, and, and more, all of them, right here on the show. Uh, and that makes this an episode with the potential for a little bit of controversy, which I, for one, fully embrace and I'm very excited about. Uh, something else I'm excited about, my co-host and our guest. Let's bring them on in that order. Up first, CEO and chief scientist with Hume AI and co-host of this very show. Uh, well, he wasn't my first love. I do admire him greatly. Dr. Alan Cowan is here. Alan, how have you been, bud? How's your summer going? Doing great. Doing great. It's great to be here, Matt. It's great to have you with me, as always. Uh, now for our guest, which I hesitate to even refer to him as such. Uh, he's a double <laughs> inductee into the Feelings Lab Five Timers Club. Uh, co-director of the Greater Good Science Center at UC Berkeley, frequent Pixar collaborator and best-selling author with his latest book, Awe, The New Science of Everyday Wonder and How It Can Transform Your Life, available for pre-order right now. Please welcome back to the show our guest, Nay, fellow co-host, the one and only Dacker Keltner is here. Dacker, my goodness, so wonderful to see you. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well, man. Uh, good right. to be here. And what a fun conversation. <laughs> Uh, it's great to have you here and happy to hear you're well. Uh, anytime I can get the two of you together, my joy and curiosity are rivaled only by my feelings of inadequacy. So let's go ahead and jump right into this one. I've got uh, some topics here, some quotes I've pulled from different articles. Alan, I'll, I'll give you a signal when we get there, but some of these I honestly think you might be better equipped to set up the stage for the discussion. So I'll tag you in when I feel like I'm out of my depth. But uh, let's start with a big one right here. Uh, and, and I think sometimes I go back and forth. I can kind of see both sides of this, but but ultimately I know where I land. Uh, something I've been trying to wrap my head around is uh, some articles that claim that studies have shown expressions don't reveal our emotions. Uh, I'm obviously going to want to hear from both of you, but in particular, Alan, I'm going to start with you and, and your perspective on this idea. Uh, so just talk to me for a second. The idea that expressions don't actually mean anything. Where, where, what's going on here? Where, where, where's this coming from? Yeah, I mean, you know, the idea that expressions don't reveal our emotions uh, is the kind of thing that's counterintuitive in one sense. And then if you think about it a little bit, it's self-evident. I mean, if you said expressions aren't direct windows into our emotions, well, that's, you know, obviously self-evident. Nobody mm -hmm. would click on that headline. If you said <laughs> expressions don't re express anything, that's, that's something that's obviously false, right? Because it means something when I laugh, 
or cry. I mean, imagine you have somebody who's screaming in your backyard. You know, you're going to run over the window, see what's going on. Uh, so clearly, expressions mean something. And it's, it's been very clear that expressions have meaning, but at the same time, aren't involuntary readouts of an internal state. And I haven't really met a scientist who doesn't agree with that. Mm -hmm. I also don't think anybody who I've talked to as a layperson uh, thinks that expressions are direct readouts of our emotions. Yeah. And I guess that's maybe that's what's happening, right? Is the headline and sometimes the article itself, I feel, is framing it. Uh, lacking that nuance that, and just stating plainly that they are pointless, they are meaningless. And we're going to get to some uh, big claims about that from some other people in a moment. But that's a very important one right there is that they're not, they're not meaningless. They just don't necessarily mean what they assume we're saying they mean. Am I getting that right? Is that, does that make sense? Well, who? I mean, who, who's, who's doing the assuming, right? So I think uh, the the challenge has been that, you know, since the 60s, there was this idea posited in emotion science that there are six kind of basic expressions, anger, fear, desire, anger, fear, <laughs> disgust, um, sadness, surprise, uh, and happiness. And, you know, Paul Ekman went around the world and he looked, showed people expressions of each of that he thought were expressions of each of these emotions. And people generally agreed that if you have to choose from those six, uh, the mapping was as expected. But, you know, I don't think Paul Ekman ever thought those were the only six expressions. Mm -hmm. He said, you know, there are many different ways of expressing each of those emotions. He more recently you know, has come to believe that there's actually a lot of different emotions that have some level of universality across cultures uh, that people recognize within cultures. Uh, and so, you know, that's kind of one to one mapping has fallen out of fashion. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, the, the, I don't think anyone really thinks that, you know, people only smile when they're happy or that they don't have, they're not happy whenever they're not smiling. And those kinds of statements, you know, I think are clear to everybody. I think that's what I get into trouble with is I feel like I'm always ever hearing half the thought where it's like, they go, well, people don't only smile when they're happy. And that's the end of the argument. It's like, well, right, but they do, they also do smile when they're happy. Like that is right. part of it. And but they also can do other things when they're happy. And it just feels like a lot of people out there, they're drawing a very hard line in the sand. And I don't know that you can do that when we're talking about something as big and as vast as the, the human experience and, and emotion and stuff like that. And that's the impression I get from some of the stuff I've read. There's a particular interview I read um, from, I think it was like last year. There's a bunch out there. And this one was in The Guardian. And it's with Microsoft's Kate Crawford. And she is very firmly of the position and cites recent work to support that there is no reliable correlation between expressions on the face and what we are actually feeling, which, again, fine, uh, far be it for me, a lowly podcast, podcast host to question the work of this vastly more educated career scientist. But my struggle with it is this. Um, if, if I think of like um, any form of visual art, I'm going to go animation. All right. And yes, my Western bias is showing here, but th this is what I think of. And communicating to the audience how a fictional, illustrated, two-dimensional character feels and is feeling in the moment, on screen, what are the tools they use to tell that story? There's a million, but just a couple of them, the vocal performance, the body language, and for me, one of the most important of all, the facial expressions. You, you've seen the behind-the-scenes DVD extras, they have little mirrors, they look at their faces, they draw those things in there. W what am I missing with this argument when someone says to me that there is no correlation? When I, I have all these years of experience and, and things that tell me, well, there is some correlation. There has to be. What, what am I, I missing? I have to weigh in here. Please, I'm, please. I'm sorry. You know, yeah, you know, historically, <laughs> sometimes in areas of science, there are, are debates that are often independent of the data, right? And, and the, the meaning of expression has been debated since Charles Darwin, 1872. Okay. And it ebbs and flows. And it goes from... The 1950s, people believed that expression didn't mean anything. Ekman, it means a lot. Now there's a counter to Ekman. And then, you know, the work that Alan and I have done for 15, 20 years reveals the expressions mean a lot. I'll, I'll note just a couple of things. Uh, the, those are non-peer review statements. The, the article uh, that some of those statements are based on in the, in the press is non-peer review. That's really mm -hmm. important for science. Mm. Uh, in point of fact, and I, you know, this is just what we have to do as scientists, which is the actual correlation when you look at four or five emotions and subjective feeling is about 0 0.2, 0 0.25, which means it's stronger than 76% of 
of what we call the effects, the causal effects of manipulations in social psychology. So it's, it's real. And for whatever reason, uh, through sociological processes of how they wanted to disseminate this idea, they uh, made popular this idea that it doesn't correlate with experience. And there are a ton of other problems with that work. The, the broader point that you're making, Matt, is fundamental, which is that the paper, non-peer review, that is the basis of that journalistic you know, uh, outcropping, if you will, was really about facial muscle movements for four or five emotions. Mm-hmm. Anger, sad, fear, disgust, happy. We already know that there are about 10 different displays of positive emotion. It's not happy. Uh, that's been published by peer review science. And then more importantly, and this is where the paper's useful, is that, yeah, there's way more to expression than just facial muscle movements. In fact, Darwin, uh, about half of his observations in the expression of emotion in man and animals are not about expressions at all, facial expressions. They're about voice, body, gaze, touch, gesture, patterns of blush and tearing, how you breathe, how you move your hands, right? Um, and so that is a tiny slice of the story misinterpreted. Uh, and Alan's done a lot of great work to, to, to I think, set the course right. Yeah. It's been misinterpreted and then uh, overextended. And so hopefully our field will get back to what is what is sensible and true. As I listen to you go through all those different yeah. facets and all these yeah. different things that we could in theory observe, I guess one of my frustrations, and I will chalk this up to, I could be doing more reading. Maybe there's a, maybe there is an answer to what I'm about to say, and I haven't personally discovered it from their perspective, from the those that suggest there are, is no correlation. But it feels to me like, because um, like, yes, they, they say it's not universal. We can't we can't read it accurately because we're we're too different. There's eight, well, and of course, what there's eight billion of us on the planet. Of course, we're all going to have different uh, ways in which we approach an emotion. But to suggest because of all the variables that there aren't also observable and documented yeah. consistencies, it feels to me a layperson like looking into the night sky and saying, well, there's just too many stars. So we're not going <laughs> to just forget about it. Don't even bother. Because why? Why bother? There's just so many of them. We're never going to really figure it out. That's the, the air I get whenever I read these and they go, well, it doesn't work and we shouldn't be doing it. I'm, I'm constantly waiting for the, okay, but, but what? But then what's the answer? What, what but, is all this stuff that we're doing? Yeah, you know, and some of the subclaims in this camp, right? You, it's not good to teach kids. It's a, a waste of time to teach kids how to read faces because it doesn't mean anything. That's actually been disproven, right? Kids hmm. do better if they're pretty good at reading faces and voices. Uh, the emotional intelligence literature, the ruler program at Yale. You could never train uh, an algorithm to detect emotion in the face or voice. Alan's done that. Published yeah. in the best journal in science, right? So, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think it's back to this, the broader point that it's just interesting how, in certain areas of science, there are ideological disputes. Yeah, and as Alan said, most people don't. They're like, well, okay, those are the really radically opposing camps. You know, it's important to remember Darwin. Uh, uh, you know, Darwin wrote a lot about cultural variation. Variation is fundamental to evolution. It's the fundamental dynamic, individual variation, cultural variation, and selection processes that flow out of variation. He wrote more about variation in expression than universality. Mm. Uh, so this whole, it's a total straw man um, that, that if you study the text carefully, uh, kind of falls apart. I, I want to come back. We get into Darwin uh, a little bit because there's uh, some some explosive that I read. Yeah, <laughs> go to somebody else. Uh, I'll call on Alan when we get there. Um, but before we stray too far from this, another thing, yeah. Alan, that I wanted to come to you with was the idea. Then, if uh, and we've already talked about the the peer reviewed science and the correlations between facial expressions and emotions, but uh, the the other critique being that we shouldn't use AI to measure our expressions because the science upon which the AI is built may be flawed, right? And you guys, you have firsthand experience more so than anybody I know in my life that can speak to me about not just abstractly this idea, this concept, but like you've been in the weeds, in the trenches, teaching AI and working on this for years. This is what you, this is where you eat, buddy. So when someone <laughs> says uh, and asks the question, should we be using AI to measure our expressions? Uh, and, and to what end? I, you're the person I want to hear respond to that. So if, if you will re respond yeah. to that. 
I mean, there, there's all these issues that get conflated in these arguments. You know, when, when they're talking about this, they usually say, you know, AI doesn't, can't detect emotions or AI can't read emotions or emotion AI is pseudoscience. And all of this is based on the idea that, you know, it goes back to the argument that expressions are either involuntary readouts of our in, internal states or they're completely meaningless. And when you say a measure expressions, you know, then it makes it really clear that this is an important tool. It's a tool yeah. for understanding what people are trying to communicate, because a lot of what people are saying is not just in their words, but also in the way that they say things. Um, there is a relationship between expressions and emotions. It's more complicated. They're not entirely, you know, there's a spectrum from like unconscious, involuntary, which, you know, expressions are not, um, to completely voluntary, always completely within our control, which is more like words. And expressions are kind of in between. They're like words, and then we can choose whether to express what we're feeling. So at, uh, at base, you know, uh, like words, we don't always say what we think. We don't always think what we say. Words are really powerful tools for communication. Nonetheless, the same goes uh, for expression. Where expressions differ from words is that we have an urge to express ourselves sometimes. Sometimes we can't help but laugh. There's some things like blushing that are completely outside of our voluntary control. Most expressions are within our voluntary control, but they can also be difficult to fake. You know, it's easier yeah. to form an expression that's consistent with what we're feeling than one that's inconsistent with what we're feeling. And that's the very thing that makes acting difficult and that makes people who express their feelings to each other trust each other more, more than if it was just in text, right? And what yeah. makes you trust somebody when you're with them and you're able to communicate more successfully when you're with them. Uh, and so it's really, uh, it's, it, it's a false dichotomy. Our expressions involuntary readouts um, or, or meaningless. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And the idea that because expressions aren't involuntary readouts of our emotions, that we shouldn't have technologies that measure them. Um, that's like a non sequitur, right? Because uh, you don't have to believe expressions are direct windows into our emotions to understand that they're meaningful. Um, and you know, it's, it's really, it's, it's taken off in, in kind of, I think, a harmful way. I mean, there's, there's many ways uh, in which it's extremely important to be able to measure expressions with technology and do so in a way that's transparent to humans. For one thing, technology that measures expressions is going to, it's, it's here whether we like it or not. You know, the, the large language models, uh, any large machine learning model that processes human data comes up with representations of expressions. This has been well documented. There are representations of emotion in GPT-3, of expression in DALI, and in all of these large language models. But we just, without having a way of measuring that, we can't control it. We can't say, this is what you should do when you measure uh, an expression. This is how you should respond. These are the good expressions. These are the bad expressions. And so we really need this technology to develop uh, in tandem to be able to uh, control and optimize how technologies treat our emotional behaviors. Uh, and so I think it can do harm to have this uh, argument going around. And one of the, you know, one of the interesting traps in this literature, Matt, and why Alan's work, you know, on training systems to detect 16 face facial expressions of distinct, well-studied emotions in the literature, making significant progress on the voice, where there are 20 to 25 peer review, you know, replicable, you know, signatures to emotions with variations. One of the reasons that he's been successful and some of the AI models have, have failed is, you know, he cast his net broadly, right? And yeah. so if you just go in looking for happiness and you see all this variety of smiles and varieties of laughs and varieties of pride versus love versus contentment versus laughter or joy or awe, uh, you'll miss it. You'll miss all that meaning. And Alan started differently and, and has been able to train models to capture that. If you, if you only stick with those Ekman four or five emotions, you don't get to all the self-conscious emotions, right? Which are wildly prevalent in social life and yeah. Alan can pick them up. So it's, it's a, you know, in some sense, it was a simple solution, but often ignored given entrenched positions. One of the things you see a lot of uh, when I see these critiques is it, it shifts to the idea of 
Uh, assuming they're correct and these models are flawed, people are in harm's way and being harmed because of it. People are missing job interviews because they're inaccurately assessed. People are uh, being judged incorrectly and, and either missing opportunities or being penalized in some way. And um, and I, th on the face of it, I understand that kind of concern, right? And I don't want to go too far down the technological rabbit hole because we do that every other episode. But this was something that jumped out to me and I want to get, get some thoughts on. So last thing from the, the Kate Crawford interview, okay? They asked her if this is broken, how do you fix it? And she says, more so than ethics, we need to be focusing on who benefits most from these systems. And if we are empowering already powerful institutions, uh, major companies like Amazon and, and whatnot, conglomerate government, the things of that nature. If we're if we're giving a super weapon to somebody who shouldn't use it, which I feel is is maybe a solid point, even if coming from a place I don't quite understand or agree with that concept of I don't want some crazy, super powerful tool to fall into the wrong hands is a pretty universal concept. I assume we can all agree with uh, Alan Hume is doing incredibly important and necessary work on the ethics front. It's a cornerstone of the existence of Hume AI is working on and establishing the ethics. What do you think about this idea that we need to regulate the hands these powerful tools fall into more so than establishing the ethics? Or is that hand in hand? I just, I, again, you are the guy I would talk to about this. So I'm just lucky that that's the show we have. Yeah, I mean, I think that we need guidelines for how this technology is going to be used. It doesn't make sense to have like a blanket ban. And I think if you're going to ban, you know, expression recognition, that's sort of the maybe less invasive than things like language recognition, right? If somebody knows what you're saying or where you are, like location, like GPS or, or like uh, facial expression recognition, I think these things maybe have uh, even deeper privacy implications. But at the same time, you know, all these things are regulated and should be regulated. Uh, with expression recognition, I agree. It's 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 very um, it's a very complex issue figuring out like what are the right use cases. So one of the things we decided up front when we started Hume is that we should have a separate nonprofit called the Hume Initiative uh, that would bring together AI researchers and ethicists and legal experts and social scientists who actually have the right mix of expertise to think about how this technology should and shouldn't be used. And so we did that and they've come up with specific use cases and guidelines and principles that we now have publicly online around use cases like accessibility. So giving people who are hard of hearing uh, the, the ability to see in captions how things are being expressed um, or being able to people who have speaking disabilities uh, who will who want to express their emotions and their voice can do that with prosody. Um, health and wellness applications, so being able to track and disassociate different kinds of uh, symptoms of mental illness, mental health, um, digital assistant technologies, content moderation, and we outline all the different considerations around you know what are the benefits, what are the risks, how do we mitigate the risks, um, and we now use those uh, guide guidelines when we review applications for Hume. Uh, so we do think that's really important. Yeah. Uh, thank, thank you uh, for that. Let's let's keep the ball spinning here. I want to pivot a little bit. I said we were going to talk about Darwin, um, and I want to go to another piece that I read. There was this article on scientificamerican.com, and I pulled a couple of bits here that I'm going to read from that for you guys. Uh, so there's two parts I'm going to do. Uh, but real quick, just for our listeners out there, I'm only reading excerpts from this, but uh, Decker and Alan were obviously they give, given links to everything to review and pull before today's chat. So don't feel I'm uh, intentionally isolating things out of context to uh, elicit a specific response or anything like that. I, I, I want the actual smart people in the room to talk, but I also want to give you guys some context out there listening in. So I'm just going to read these two bits for you. The first one here comes from that article. So they go, uh, Darwin's expression, uh, referring to his book, the, the Expression of the Emotions in Man and Animals, uh, suggests that instances of a particular emotion, such as anger, share a distinct, immutable, physical cause or state, an essence that makes the instances similar, even if they have superficial differences. So we're talking about essentialism here. They go on to say, uh, essentialism likewise appears to lure designers of emotion AI systems to follow Darwin down this comfortable path with its assumption that emotions evolved via natural selection to serve important functions. But if you actually read expression, you'll find that Darwin barely mentioned natural selection. He also did not write that facial expressions are functional products of evolution. In fact, 
he wrote the opposite, that smiles, frowns, eye-widening, and other physical expressions were, quote, purposeless, end quote, vestigial movements that no longer serve a function. He made the statement more than 10 times in expression. Now, I'm done reading the bit there. I am woefully ill-equipped to respond to this in any meaningful way beyond simply going, fair enough. Uh, but I feel Darwin, uh, saying that Darwin thought expressions to be purposeless is kind of a bombshell statement. So I got to believe you guys have some <laughs> thoughts here. So I'm going to turn it around to the, to the smart people to, to respond to that idea because I, I don't know where to fall on that one. I mean, I, I have to look up the actual quote um, in <laughs> expressive emotion in man and animals because he definitely doesn't say that expressions are purposeless in the sense that's meant there. He What, what he argues in this entire um, book is that, you know, expressions have no practical purpose other than being expressions, other than a communicative mm. purpose. And that, 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 they're, that they're, they've evolved from things that at one point had a practical purpose and now only have a communicative purpose. And Darwin goes on to say, you know, expressions are extremely important uh, in developing social relationships and well-being and all of that. I have to find the exact, yeah, he says, the movements of, uh, of expression in the face and body, whatever their origin may be, or sorry, may have been, are in themselves of much importance for our welfare. They serve as the first means of communication between the mother and her infant. She smiles approval and thus encourages her child on the right path or frowns disapproval. We readily perceive sympathy in others by their expression. Our sufferings are thus mitigated and our pleasures increased and mutual good feeling is thus strengthened. The movements of expression give vividness and energy to our spoken words. They reveal the thoughts and intentions of others more truly than do words, which may be falsified. So, I mean, it's very clear that that's not a correct reading of Darwin. <laughs> okay, real quick. Can I, I'm just going to yeah. pat myself on the back. Feel free to tap that little advanced 30 seconds button, listener, if you don't want to hear me talk about how smart I feel right now. But here we go. Because when I was reading that, I was reminded of all the conversations we've had on this show and how you told me about the ideas. If you go back hundreds of thousands of years, one could detect imminent danger in their tribe based on the expression or behavior of a neighbor or the warnings of aggression or even something like outwardly displaying sadness as a means of attracting support of another. And so while I'm reading it, I'm like, but they aren't purposeless. I've heard that they've served a purpose. And so I was really struggling with this. I was like, but it's Darwin. So if he said it, maybe they are. I don't know. So that, uh, I mean, I suppose I could have read his book, but this is so much more fun for me to talk to you and have you read it to me. Um, in fact, Alan, if we can get a series, I don't know how the rights work on this, of you just reading Darwin books, uh, um, I'm sure that other people have narrated them, but I'd love to hear you do it for me. Um, but anyway, yeah, uh, Dacker, you know, you're a guy who I feel like has done a little digging in, into Darwin and, uh, maybe I'm wrong in that assumption, but I feel like that's kind of your bag. Uh, will we ever, sometimes when I have people tell me what they think Darwin thought, I yeah. kind of think of like, um, like the dinosaurs, like, well, we know what they look like, but we don't because we weren't there when they were there. We'll never really know. It's a best guess. But I think in this instance, I would assume he's left us enough text for us to interpret that we can get pretty close to what he thought, even though we can't ask him ourselves. Is this something that's forever going to be debatable? Or, 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 or can you say, as someone who's, who's looked into a lot of and read a lot of, if not all the text, that, that there is enough there for us to have a pretty solid idea of what he thought? Yeah, I think, you know, first of all, uh, you know, well, Darwin, Darwin was a, an incredible um, letter writer and uh, autobiographer and correspondent and had, you know, different notebooks that led to the expression of emotion in man and animals. So it is, they're all available online uh, and uh, I, we could provide that link so you can find out what he said. Uh, more specifically, the expression of emotion in man and animals is, I think, the. It, there's no doubt in human history, it is the most precise, nuanced description of 59 states, right? 59 mental states or physical mental states in which he describes very specific behaviors from multiple kinds of data. Uh, that co-vary with those states. So it, you know, you can go right to what Darwin said and see how he differentiates horror from terror, anger from rage, different kinds of love, et cetera. So it's, it's, that is, you know, then you could contest what the words mean. Sympathy meant something a little bit different in Victorian England than it may mean today, et cetera. Love it means something a little bit different. 
So you can, you can resolve these issues. And on that, it is clear throughout the expression of emotion in man and animals. Darwin talks about how, what we know today, both in the non-human signaling literature, the human signaling literature, that these expressions help us know other people's mental states and coordinate social interactions. They, they help rivals solve conflicts. They help parents connect to their children. They help people flirt with each other, et cetera. Um, and then the second thing, you know, your first point uh, about essences is not Darwin. Um, it, it is just, that is assuming that Paul Ekman's photos, and it'd be worth our listeners looking at those photos, because those are some, in some sense, what you might think of as essences, static photos of very specific facial muscle movements. That wasn't Darwin. That was Paul yeah. Ekman. He hadn't read Darwin when he went and did that research, right? So people, the contemporary critique of Darwin is mistaking those photos from Darwin, because what Darwin writes about is what Alan has discovered, in, and every study of expression has discovered, is within a category, you have a lot of variation, right? Yeah. In pride, you have all these different forms of pride. The hands go up or they don't. The chest is up. You sneer with contempt or not, whatever it is. Um, and so, you know, those are just regrettable misinterpretations. And it's back to this point, you know, there's this, this science of emotion that's making a lot of progress. And then there are these theoretical disputes that tend to kind of cycle and, and flow uh, in a pen, the swing of a pendulum. When it comes to, because, uh, and I don't want to keep saying the same thing over and over again. I got other yeah. stuff I'm going to get us to, but I'm just trying, whenever I approach uh, two sides of a, a debate yeah. here, uh, you know, I try my best to get onto the other side and understand where yeah. this position is coming from, right? And, and, I, and I keep taking issue with the dismissiveness, the, the saying it's purposeless and all these yeah. other things. And, and like I said earlier, drawing too hard a line in the sand. Uh, it, I would have, obviously you guys, you disagree with those viewpoints. You can articulate that very clearly to me of why it is the way it is. But can either of you more clearly articulate for me what exactly is their argument against the significance of facial expressions? Why they look at the studies you guys have put forward, had peer reviewed and go, not good enough. What, what is it that I'm missing as a layperson that they are taking issue with beyond just the, the misinterpretation of a Darwin piece? But to look at the work you guys have done and then say, it's not good enough. People are still, uh, it's failing here. It's doing this. It's not doing that. What, help a normie over here understand why that science person is upset with this science person, if you can. Is that possible? Well, I mean, part of it goes back to... And I think it's another non sequitur in reasoning. And Alan pointed out an earlier one, one earlier, which is that there is a, a, a view of emotion that it's all constructed with language and symbols and cultural meanings. And, and that no doubt is true. Yes. There's a lot that's constructed uh, or a good deal. Uh, I would challenge them to cite a lot of convincing evidence and happy to consider that. But um, yeah, there's, there's a that view has always historically been hostile to the idea that there are bodily reactions to emotion that may be part of human nature, if you will, or mammalian nature, which was yeah. the Darwinian enterprise. And if you can show that that's not the case, which are, is the spirit of these, these re so-called reviews, then you get to, you, you've, it logically follows in that view that, oh, it must all be constructed. And all studies show like it's both, you know, there are amazing cultural variations. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. You know, and then there's a core there that's universal. That's part of the, what I think is going on. Yeah. There's a great uh, New Yorker piece that we're going to get to in a second. I think that kind of highlights the, the, yeah. the cultural variations that I found really, really interesting. Um, but real quick, before we do that, and this kind of gets us there, if we start at this point, we'll end up there uh, talking about uh, universality or the, the universal nature of these expressions. Um, you know, how do we know whether uh, expressions are universal or not? Uh, you know, I, I would cite as anecdotal evidence, the thing I referenced earlier, animation, right? Those films get redubbed and distributed globally. And yes, the language changes, but it, they wouldn't make the billions of dollars that they do 
if people didn't connect yeah. beyond with just the words that are being said, right? Yeah. There's something visual there. And I, again, there's a ton of things that go into an animated film, the, the, the framing, the, 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 the lighting, the color palette, all that stuff. But they are connecting with characters. There's a reason people all over the world get tattoos of, of Bart Simpson or Buzz Lightyear. There's <laughs> something about the characters that they connect to and they relate to. Something that even though they're not real, feels real to them and they love those things. So that to me, very anecdotal, very not scientific at all, but that to me is some kind of inkling that there is a universal language here, be it expressions, emotions, there's something that we're all getting. Um, but how do we know if expressions are universal? That's the big question that we wrote in our notes that I was building towards. Alan? Yeah, I mean, there's different sources of evidence, right? The uh, There's comparisons to animals. Uh, that would be one source. Uh, there's, you know, I love uh, that. <laughs> we've talked all about that. In, That's right. <laughs> in <this> That's podcast. <laughs> so, you know, wolves growl and dogs growl and we understand what the growl means. It's an anger display. It turns out that the growl uh, is an authentic anger display in the sense that you, the, the, the more convincing and deep of a growl you're able to make, you have to have a bigger lung capacity. So it's actually a show of body size. And a lot of animals have a, a sound similar to that that they make. It's a threat display, uh, at least a lot of mammals. There's, um, you know, the scream uh, and you, you see alarm calls in different primates that have similar, similar acoustic properties. Uh, there's uh, sort of laugh displays, the open mouth smile, which is a play behavior in almost every mammal there is. So there's that kind of evidence. Mm -hmm. um, there's uh, evidence looking at infants. So, you know, before they have much time to learn um, about expressions, do they react in a way that shows that, that you know, they, they have some understanding of expressions and uh, there's studies that show at a very, very young age, matter of like, I don't know, four months or some three months, four months, um, when you're doing this paradigm where the infant is crossing, I don't know, it must be after they're crawling. I don't know, they've, they've done different studies at different ages, but one is um, when they're crawling, you can do this study where they're crossing a glass bridge. And um, if the parents on the other side of the bridge and they're making, you know, a neutral face or a scared face, the kid won't cross it. <laughs> and when they're smiling, the kid will cross, right? <laughs> so they're taking expressions as, as signals at a very young age. Wow. Uh, That's cool. There's <laughs> evidence like that. Um, there's uh, another also, reason to have a kid. I'm just making a list and that's a good one. I can run glass bridge experiments with child writing that down. That's, that's a fun one right there. Yeah. I mean, and, and the more obvious one is in the voice, right? Uh, you, mm. you, you chastise a baby or, or a dog, you know, it's very clear. They show signs of shame when you laugh and have an encouraging voice and speak in parentese to them, then, you know, it's an encouraging sign. Okay, so that's um, infants, animals, and then also cross cultures. And the cross cultural studies are, in some ways, most difficult. You can look at you know large scale cross cultural studies like the kind that we do, where we actually just get people in the U.S. and China and India and Venezuela and Ethiopia and South Africa to label lots of expressions, to form lots of expressions, to label what their own expressions mean, to report what they're feeling in a given situation. We do all these studies. And we measure how similar things are across cultures. And usually it's, you know, between 60 and 80% uh, is shared across cultures along many, many dimensions, like 25 different dimensions of expression in wow. each study. And then uh, you can look at natural data. So we've done studies where we look at YouTube videos all around the world and we label everybody's expression, facial expressions and all of the YouTube videos and, and the context that's going on. We do all that with machine learning. Yes. I was going to ask a question and this yeah, kind of goes go into the New Yorker thing. I don't want to interrupt you, but this New Yorker piece that I found very interesting that I was going to ask you to kind of set up because I don't know that I fully understood it, but now we're here. So you talk about uh, looking at the videos from all over the world, right? And we talk about labeling those expressions. And one of the things that I think was kind of touched upon in this piece is who did you use to train and label those pieces, right? Because they kind of get into those videos. I mean, in this piece that like, I may label a video uh, as a different emotion than someone of a different culture and in a different part of the world, which is why I mentioned my Western bias earlier is because that was something that kind of like not blew my mind, but got me to think a little more of like, okay, fair enough. When I think of these things, I have to remind myself 
that my my worldview is limited by what I've seen of the world and the culture I've been raised within. So I understand that and I recognize other cultures exist. But I also, again, I go back to that thing of like, Buzz Lightyear's cool in every language, man. Everybody loves Buzz. So I don't know where it lands. But when you were <laughs> labeling and going through and identifying all those things, did you guys uh, account for uh, uh, that kind of Western, but the labeling bias, right? Are you are yep. ensuring that you're labeling it in a way that um, uh, uh, accounts for that? I'm sorry that I'm not very articulate in this question, yep. but I think I got the point across. So yeah, there's two issues there. One is how do people in different cultures label expressions? And right. we've done big studies of that, right? Separate studies and uh, along 28 different dimensions, which are significant that people distinguish in facial expression. 63% of the variance is preserved. So if you look at a major culture, um, a major country like U.S., China, um, it, the, the labels won't be that different. Um, in that study where we looked at facial expressions in YouTube videos, right. we didn't use human labelings. Okay. We used a machine learning algorithm. And that algorithm was trained on human labels. Um, and it actually, this is where it's a point of confusion. In order to train an algorithm, you sort of need to use emotion terms because people mm-hmm. aren't good at describing expressions in any other way, right? And, and so we used labels and it happened to be from Indian raiders who uh, were asked to use their naive understanding of expression to label the emotions that they thought were expressed by lots and lots of different faces. And then we trained an algorithm that only saw the pixels on the face to try to generate those same labels. But from then on, the algorithm only saw pixels on the face, right? It never Mm -hmm. understood the cultural context, the surrounding context around the face, um, how different people in different cultures would label the expression. So those labels ended up just being proxies for dimensions of facial movement. All the algorithm was privy to is facial movement and didn't Mm -hmm. actually have an interpretation of what those facial movements meant. And so we looked human. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) <laughs> and so we measured facial movements yeah. <laughs> and we compared them directly to contexts. And so another set of machine learning algorithms that we showed was not sensitive to the expression, labeled what context people were in, whether they were watching fireworks at a wedding or at a birthday and so on. And, and then we, we correlated those things. So facial expression in terms of facial movements uh, with labels just as proxies, right? Because it doesn't matter what culture those facial movements are in, they're going to be labeled the same way. And compared those to the context. Um, So, so yeah, that's how you dissociate those two issues. Now we have algorithms where we actually use labels from different cultures to train to train the algorithm, and see if we can get more facial expressions that are more culture specific. Um, Mm. So, it turns out uh, with our facial expression algorithm, for instance, there's 21 that are almost exactly the same meaning across every culture. 21 different dimensions of facial expression. And there's seven that are a little more culture specific. Some of them very culture specific, but most of them have similarities across four or five out of the six cultures we studied. Um, and, and so we're able to actually capture both universal or shared and culture specific dimensions of facial expression and disassociate them. Um, but at the end of the day, it's still just measuring facial movement. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because at the end, of the, regardless of culture, this that we all have the same set of tools right here. Yeah, we all have the same facial muscles. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, so what did you say, 21, 22 are generally universal? 21 dimensions. 21 dimensions. Almost exactly the same meaning across yeah. the US, China, Venezuela, Ethiopia, um, South Africa, and India. Are those 21, is it, am I oversimplifying to be like, if Ekman had like six or seven, right? If you go back, now here we are in 2022 and we can... <laughs> pretty definitively say we've got like 21 that are actually pretty, but that everyone almost shares it more or less like that number. And that's, you know, that's what I say in part. And, you know, Ekman doesn't get credit for his 92 paper, you know, about an argument for basic emotions, probably the most cited paper in emotion, uh, the science of emotion. He says, look, it's an open field. If you find a, a state, that has an experience, that has a, sign- a expressive behavior, that has a pattern of thinking, that has some physiology to it, um, that may that you might be able to, in the Darwinian sense, observe in other species. We'll call that an emotion. Yeah, and and that's what ec- this kind of work does. Is it says, whoa, there's this rich palette of emotions that the field can 
as Alan's been doing and others explore. So yeah, just to, I would say that 21. Awesome. Amazing. Uh, Alan, before I, cause we're, we're coming into the home stretch and I got one more thing that I wanted to get to, but in that conversation, we kind of tackled a lot of, uh, what I would consider like the meat of that New Yorker piece, but was, did I steamroll anything that you wanted to get into there? Cause I think it was like you or Janet had sent me the link to that piece. And, uh, I just did, I wanted to make sure I didn't, um, take away any time from you to speak to anything that you saw in that piece that you wanted to address. But I think we, what, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like the piece despite, you know, yeah. it, I don't think it's um, a scientist who wrote it, but they mm -hmm. have a very strong intuitive understanding of like, mm -hmm. well, when I talk to people in different cultures, and somebody who does that a lot, um, you know, and, and we don't have the same emotion word for something, it's very easy to figure out what's meant by the word. It takes a very small, like short amount of time yeah. to uh, impart what the, the concept is actually describing. And there's instantly a recognition of, oh, I, I know that feeling. Right. And yeah. so, so is it really a culture specific feeling or is it just a culture specific term? And the conclusion right. is it's a culture specific term. And I, I agree with that largely. You know, and, and I like the piece, too, a lot. And I admire Bacha Mosquito's work, the, 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 whose book the piece is based on. And that's a really important point that's often overlooked that the great Irish philosopher Edmund Burke made, which is that words don't necessarily refer to feelings. Right. Mm. And, and so we had, or single words as often as the case in this science. And so when you hear about the, the Japanese state of amai, one word that refers to the pleasurable dependence upon other people, at first blush, you're like, well, we don't have a word for that in, in, um, in English. But then once you start to think about phrases or images or metaphors and, you know, you start, oh, yeah, I felt that. You know, mm -hmm. I feel pleasurably dependent upon a grandparent or whatever it is. So, so I loved how the piece ends with, you know, you may not have this direct translation across languages of single words, but we can understand each other. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I took away from it too. And I really, I really like that because at the end of the day, it's like, if we, if we try, we can find the common ground, even though right. it may appear as though it's not there, it's there. We've got to look for it. Um, all right. Last thing before we wrap this up, uh, you know, and I'll allow me to belabor my animation example, but one more time. Uh, but this I'm going to go the other direction. OK, not devil's advocate, but, uh, you know, I mentioned what are the tools, right? And we said vocal performance, body language. Uh, let's keep going. The music, the color palette, uh, the framing of the character within the scene. There are tons of ways to visually communicate emotion uh, beyond just facial expressions. Right. You look at, look at the first half of Wally. Uh, Three nonverbal characters tell a complete story without proper faces. They have eyes, but no faces. Um, and there's tons of examples in pop culture of us uh, communicating without faces, taking up the challenge to tell that story without a face and without a traditional human form is always a fun thing that an animator does. So I, all of that is to get me to, if it's so contentious, if there's this endless debate over the significance uh, and purpose of expressions, why is that? where the emotion science field has hung its hat. Why set up camp on facial expressions? Uh, what, what, from my outside perspective, the most controversial element, because everyone else seems to agree on the other stuff, but everyone's debating facial expressions. So how did we land there as sort of like the base for all of this? Where, where does that come from? Does it go right back to Ekman? Does it go back to Darwin? Why that? Why facial expressions if it's, if it's such a debate? I, th I think that... Um... The it's it's just you have this historical legacy. It's always been debated. So that precedent justifies publications about more debate. Um, mm. I think a lot of the field has um, is not uh, concerned too much about the debate and is measuring expression and advancing uh, in different ways. There are a lot of labs that are keeping up the work. And, and so I think that it has this historical legacy that we've talked about. Um, and then it, it uh, uh, you know, it's, um, it's, it's splashy to critique Ekman, who became very well-known, you know, yeah. kind of the, one of the most well-known psychologists for, had a television show based on him, his life, was, et cetera. So, you know, it, it's a way to, to uh, gain prominence. Yeah, I would also add, I think that it has a lot to do with the medium through which science is disseminated. Yeah. <laughs> I think the yeah. fact that, especially in the old days, you could not send a recording. Like you had, it was in the journal article. How would they possibly write about sound, right? <laughs> and so <laughs> now we have the internet, but even so, like it's, it's difficult. Um, 
And, uh, and so there was, there were a lot of, uh, books where there were diagrams of the face and there was kind of a pseudoscience of physiognomy about how your That's face right. shape indicated your personality and just an obsession, obsession with the face. Um, and, uh, you know, Darwin was able to sketch out facial expressions and in man and animals, he, how would he, it, it, you know, he talks about sound, he talks about vocalizations, but, but he can't do it with the same level of detail, right? You can actually yeah. show examples. <clears throat> yeah. um, and so I think that, and I think that's true in other areas of science as well. I think that there's been an obsession with more visual stuff than uh, audio stuff. And that's, that's a shame. And I think that's changing. I mean, we had this study with vocal expressions where we had this interactive map that we sent around and you can play through all the different vocal expressions. And suddenly a lot of people are a lot more interested in vocal expressions. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see where that goes. I think, I think we're headed in a good direction. Awesome. It's interesting, you know, Matt, it, yeah. like Ekman's photos, he developed these photos out of 3000 pictures. They're so easy to use. You can put them in a suitcase. You can put them in your backpack and do, go do a yeah. study. You know, sound equipment's different. You know, early studies, like when you look at the spectrograph, which is the representation of sound for an emotion, good luck analyzing it. It's like, you know, and you're like, what do I do with this? <laughs> so it just was harder yeah. to do, you know, but, but there's a lot of progress being made. And, and yeah. it may prove some people have, have made the case, uh, Alan's data, our data speak to the possibility that the voice may be the richer register of human emotion. Right? Yeah. And, and that may be an interesting development to come out of this, this cycle of debate. So cool. Uh, all right, I'm going to say goodbye, but real quick, because you brought it up, my wife and I, we, we loved Lie to Me, uh, the show, yeah. it was a show uh, that was on Fox, I think, years ago, whatever, is uh, um, Tim Roth played him, yeah. and it was procedural, but it was, it was just, it was great television, and we were obsessed with that show. Uh, real quick, did Ekman like the show? Did he like what they did? Ooh, Do you're putting know? me in a hot seat here. He <laughs> you'll tell, you know script. what, you know what, tell me off camera. There we go. <laughs> yeah, no, he, no, no, he liked, he liked, I think, the first season, and then he felt that it went down here so it did what every tv show does it yeah had to keep going, you, it. you know what i mean <laughs> that's awesome fantastic uh that was for me that question and i appreciate you <laughs> indulging uh gentlemen i could pepper you with questions and compliments for another hour if they'd let me but it's time to put a bow on this one and call it a day uh as per usual i am overflowing with gratitude and appreciation you both have very busy schedules so i appreciate when anytime you can make the time to hang out and humor me and my curiosities it means a lot uh dacker cannot say it enough pleasure to the max uh one more time your latest book awe the new science of everyday wonder and how it can transform your life is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books uh anything else you want to mention before we get out of here doctor it's great to be with you guys i love these conversations god i love it man alan i said it before i'll say it again uh episodes and conversations like this man are are why i've grown quite fond of you uh thank you thanks thanks, man Uh, i really do i i feel like we've we formed a bond making this show together man thanks not just for this episode but let me uh into your world to to poke around and cause trouble and ask what's up i really appreciate it Uh, thanks i appreciate Uh, you thanks man (laughs) oh god so much love on this show and of course to our audience we didn't forget about you uh i don't get to sit here and ask my questions if you don't keep showing up to listen so thank you for making this all possible for us i hope you come back for another one and hey look we took a swing and made the attempt here to talk through some pretty big ideas and positions out there right now. I am sure someone has a counterpoint or a different perspective, and that's cool. You're human. Do it. Go ahead and send us an email. Let us what we want to hear. It. Let's start a dialogue. We're all people out here trying our best. Keep the conversations going. It's how we all get better. You can find us at thefeelingslab at hume.ai. That's T-H-E-F-E-E-L-I-N-G-S-L-A-B at, you know, the little squiggly guy, hume, H-U-M-E dot AI. Uh, farewell for now from all of us at the Feelings Lab. I'm Matt Forte. Thanks again, everybody. And please stay safe out there.